0: And welcome to Just Plain Sense, the Equality and Diversity podcast. I'm Christine Burns, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking to the chair of the new Equality and Human Rights Commission, Trevor Phillips. Later on, I'll also be talking with his director of English Regions, Tim Wainwright. We all met recently in Leeds for what was billed as a private sector working lunch for local business leaders to share their perspectives about the Equality and Human Rights agenda. The Commission formally opened its doors for business nine months ago in October 2007. The new body replaced three separate commissions that had previously dealt with equality issues associated with gender, race and disability. One of those, the Commission for Racial Equality, had been in existence for almost 40 years. In fact, Trevor Phillips had chaired the CRE for four years himself before becoming the new organisation's first chair. The Equality and Human Rights Commission has a broader remit than the three bodies it replaces. First, it's there to ensure and promote equal opportunities for everyone, not just on grounds of gender, race or disability, but sexual orientation, religion or belief, and age as well. Second, the new body has a mandate to promote human rights in Britain, the first time anyone has been specifically tasked to do this. Very little time was available to get the new organisation ready for business too. After more than five years of talking about the idea, there was barely six months between the time that enabling legislation was passed in the spring of 2007 before the Commission needed to be up and running. Days before the old Commission ceased to exist, the fledgling still didn't even have a working phone system. The Commission is now nine months old and therefore I began by asking Trevor what had been the highs and lows in that time.
1: Well, I couldn't tell you about the lows, because I'm not supposed to, <laughs> but, um, but actually, I think there have been quite a lot of things of which I'm rather proud. Uh, I think no one should underestimate the task of just getting through day one, bringing together three different organisations, plus adding some new concerns, uh, that is to say, in addition to race, disability, and gender, uh, and then sexual orientation, uh, religion and belief and age and human rights it's quite an undertaking for our staff because they not only have to do their old jobs but they've got to get used to some new things I would say though the uh, proper highlights are some of the things we've already begun to do like for example the Sharon Coleman case which will introduce new rights for 6 million carers which we've pursued we have uh, begun to uh, essentially, I suppose, declare our independence, given, uh, as an example, the uh, stance we've taken on the 42 days proposal the government has made. I think that we've uh, begun to set out our stall with a new business plan, which says what we're going to do. But uh, we've got a lot more to do. And I suppose, um, I don't have a low... But I have, as everybody knows, a monumental level of impatience. In- I think we need to do better, we need to do it faster, and um, you know, our people are, I think, gearing up uh, after you know, nine months or so to move us into another phase uh, in the summer and beyond.
0: Now, one of the major initiatives you've kicked off already is an investigation into human rights. Can you tell me a bit more about that? <laughs>
1: Well, the biggest thing for me about human rights is this. We've got the mandate to promote human rights in this country. It is possibly one of the most um, difficult propositions that you can imagine. If you look at any tabloid, uh, you look at the way that human rights have been addressed. The British people now think that the Human Rights Act is really a charter for the undeserving to benefit... Uh, at the expense of uh, you know right- righteous upstanding members of the community you know criminals who want por- pornography in their cells runaways who want Kentucky fried chicken given to them by the police and so on now what we've got to do is to translate human rights in from the lofty language of the international conference center or the legal language of the courtroom into everyday practicalities because what human rights is really about in my view at its heart is the right of the individual not to be put upon by uh, authority whether that is some individual uh, individual jobsworth bureaucrat you know traffic warden or whatever it is or whether it is the right of the state or some public authority to neglect you or to uh, maltreat your grandmother who is in an old per- folks home or to mistreat uh, a young person who happens to be in care. Now, my view is that 99% of the human rights business in the UK is really about those things, the protection of the individual and his or her integrity and respect against um, an uncaring or oppressive bureaucracy. Now, put that way... I think most British people will respond to it. And our task is to try to achieve that. And the human rights inquiry is a way, in a sense, of examining it and dramatising it. Because what we're really asking in that inquiry is how effective has the framework we've got been. Uh, and what I hope that the inquiry, which is independent, run by NULA alone, but what I expect NULA will do, at the very least, is draw to the attention of the British public that the human rights uh, Legislation, human rights framework can be helpful to the ordinary person in protecting the people that they love and that they care about. And, by the way, that it will be, in the end, the only bulwark against the, any government which, for example, takes it into its head to uh, take extreme measures against, for example, support, supposed terrorism.
0: Now, one of the other initiatives you've very recently now kicked off has been to do with looking at uh, the, the role that class and economic background can have on people as well. Now, that's something that's been quite strongly resisted in the past. Why is, why is, would it be right to call it a change of heart?
1: Well, I think um, it's time for the equality movement to grow up, really. I mean... You know, it has been right for us to be a a movement which advocates for particular groups of people who have not had voices and who have in various ways been disadvantaged and, frankly, it's an old-fashioned word, been oppressed. Nonetheless, the truth of the matter is that anybody who really studies the reason that groups of people do not flourish will know that the single biggest thing is still their socio-economic status, and actually, more precisely, the socio-economic status of their parents. If I had a single motto, if I could put it this way, for the purpose of an equality commission, it is this, that we have to work to turn Britain into a society in which your destiny is not, maro- is not uh, tied to your origins. That is to say that we should not be a society in which you can look at an individual at the age of six months and say, "Okay, I know where they were born, I know what their parents did for a living, and therefore I can tell with a pretty clear degree of certainty where they are going to be at the age of 18, where they're going to be at the age of 40, and where they're going to be at the age of 50. Now, I think the truth is we can still do that for far too many people. So my aim is to really attack that predetermination and unless you deal with the issue of class as much as you do with race or gender or sexual orientation or gender status you've also you're you're going to be missing the biggest thing that in a sense puts us on the tram lines
0: now, I know you've only been doing this now for, n- for nine months plus, of course, the time before in actually setting up the commission, so I, d- I don't want to talk <laughs> about the, the, the end of your, your role too, too soon, but there will, there will come a time when, when it's time for you to m- move on. What would you want your legacy to have been?
1: Well, what I would say, uh, you know, in concrete terms, there are all sorts of flannel I could give you, but if I were to say in three years time or five years time or ten years time what do I have to look back and say I helped to do that well I guess the first thing would be to help introduce a new generation of equality law which is not just anti-discrimination law about you know, the classic strands race, disability and, um, uh, and gender but a m- more encompassing equality act which is positive which says these are our rights as a society this is the society we aim to be and this is what equality means for us and it's not just based on you know some predetermined notions of what might cause you disadvantage i think that we have to think about other kinds of status children in care uh, people who are caring people who are prisoners you know we're only now just beginning for example to get to terms properly with uh, transgender status uh you know i think that the truth of the matter is, and there are going to be new things uh your as we begin to be able to read your genetic code there will be new drivers for inequality and i want to see an, uh, uh a a generation of equality law that is capable of dealing with that and that would be my first big thing the second thing, if I can and this is a much smaller thing I suppose but it's the kind of thing that you would expect me to say as a journalist I would like to be able to say that I left the cause of equality and human rights more popular than I found it Uh, I'd like to be able to say that people understood that what we're doing is really about fairness it's not about advantage for small groups at the margins of society, but it's about the central values of the whole society that what we do, the kind of fairness that we're after is the kind of thing that every one of the 60 million people or so who live in the United Kingdom feels is part, an integral part of the kind of society that they want to live in. And if we can get people to talk about it in those terms and without the jargon, without the spin, without the sort of language of the priesthood that I think we in equality business sometimes adopt, then I think uh, that will be the particular legacy I would like to leave.
0: Trevor, thank you very much. Great pleasure. Trevor Phillips there, talking to me at the Royal Armouries in Leeds after a working lunch that we'd shared with senior business leaders from all over the north of England. In the next episode, you'll be able to hear the whole of what Trevor said to them in his introductory speech. Of course, the day-to-day business of the new Commission involves dealing with all sorts of stakeholders. There are public and private sector leaders, local politicians, official agencies, and certainly not least, the interests of you and me, whether through voluntary and community groups or charities, or as individuals wanting help and advice or a say in things. The Commission aims to engage with all these kinds of stakeholders on a regional basis, and clearly that's an important interface for anyone working on equality and diversity issues at the coalface. To talk about that function, I next sought out the Commission's Director of English Regions, Tim Wainwright, and I began by asking him what his title meant.
2: Well, um, basically what we do is we run a network of nine regional offices in the different English regions. And uh, we work alongside uh, organisations, parts of the organisation that cover Wales and Scotland as well. And um, what we do is we, um, we have relationships with the voluntary sector, with the public sector, with the private sector, at more of a local and regional level uh, around the country. Um, and we use that to both amplify... The work of the Commission nationally, but also to influence the work of the Commission nationally, and bringing from that kind of more local level real practical experience of work on equality and human rights. So um, yeah, so in a nutshell, that's that's what we're up to.
0: Now, earlier this year, the, the Commission ran its first funding round for voluntary and community sector organisations. What was that intending to do, and how has it worked out?
2: Um, well, it's worked out okay. I think um, it was, it, it's been set up very much as an interim grants program um, and it's just over one year. So it was um, basically designed uh, to be done fairly quickly in the early days of the commission. Um, it's been very successful. It was extremely, very, uh, very highly uh, subscribed. I think over 800 applications and around 250 organizations that are being funded at grassroots level. all around around Britain. Um, The way we see the future, though, is um, well, we're going to be consulting on this issue over the next uh, few months uh, later in 2008 Um, and um, I hope that we'll be designing uh, a more strategic grants programme um, more likely to be funding over longer periods of time and more closely linked to the wider strategic aims of the Commission.
0: And, and how do you see the relationship between the Commission and regional stakeholders developing then?
2: Um, I think that uh, the Commission is always... I mean, the whole point of us having uh, a regional network is to be able to engage closely with uh, a very wide range of regional stakeholders um, from, the, from the, you know, the private sector, the public sector and the voluntary and community sector. Um, I hope that will be a, a very much a two-way relationship. Um, I hope that um, we can play a role in um, both being, a, I, I guess, something of a conduit to make a link between uh, local-level experience and practice and national-level policy, um, but also to um, s- to facilitate um, uh, support to organisations who are working at local level. Um, so, for instance, sometimes we can um, bring... Um, expertise from the national level, people who have a big national picture of what's going on on a particular subject, um, and they can work with a group of people who are uh, key in that area in the region, and uh, exchange, bring the national expertise, listen to the local, local experience in that part of the country, and appreciate the fact that um, we live in a very diverse country, and it's not just diverse in its people, but it's also diverse in the different contexts and different parts of England that we...
0: Finally, just thinking more broadly, what do you think is the, is the biggest challenge for bringing off this, this change in, in thinking within our, our whole nation about equality and diversity and human rights?
2: I think our biggest challenge is to get the public on our side. I mean, I think at the moment, if you, if you ask people in, in uh, this country about equality and human rights, the connotations of those words aren't particularly positive and yet uh, they should be, because these are concepts that apply to us all, and they should be a positive thing, and, th- and I think um, what we need to do, our biggest challenge, is to get the public on our side and engaged in an agenda about maybe about, more about fairness.
0: Director of English Regions Tim Wainwright there. Well, in the next episode of Just Plain Sense, you'll be able to hear the whole of Trevor Phillips' speech to the business leaders. Until then, from me, Christine Burns, it's goodbye, and thank you for listening. Just Plain Sense is a Plain Sense limited production.